As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now, or visit leadingsaints.org LGBT. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through content creation, much like this podcast. We have articles at leadingsaints.org you should check out. A weekly newsletter you should subscribe to also has unique content. So let's jump into this week's episode. Today, I am sitting down to the powers of the internet with Ryan Adams. How are you, Ryan? I'm doing great, Kurt. How are you doing today? Awesome. This is. I'm, I'm glad this interview is coming together, uh, whether you initially thought it would turn into an interview. Uh, but let, let's first get the, the basics out of the way. Uh, where is it that you're located? Yeah, I, I'm a, I live in Glendale, Arizona, kind of right at the, for people that are familiar with the Phoenix Valley, I'm kind of in the northwest corner of the valley where Phoenix, Glendale, and Peoria all kind of meet together. Nice. And uh, how long have you been there? We've lived here for uh, seven, I guess, seven and a half years. That's great. And you are currently the bishop. I am. Nice. And, and this am. is your, your second go at it? It's my second go of being bishop. And then I was also a branch president for a few years over a, a pretty big bilingual branch in Texas also. So nice. I say it's my third try at this. My <laughs> state president doesn't want to give me credit for the first one. He says it's something. Nice. I don't know. I don't get to claim that for some reason, but that's, yeah. This <laughs> nice. is the second time as vision. Awesome. And, and your job as an airline pilot uh, required you to, to live in different places, I assume. I've been, uh, I was living in San Antonio, Texas, serving as a bishop. When I got hired, I fly for Southwest. And, and then we, from there, moved to Phoenix. Pr- yeah. Prior to that, I was active duty in the Air Force. Oh, cool. And, uh, and that yeah. comes with a travel in its own, right? It did. Did yeah, <laughs> it, it did. That's I, awesome. uh, yeah, we lived in uh, two different places in Texas, and we lived in in New Jersey for a while. Also, when I was on active duty, nice. and uh, yeah. So I, I, every time I meet an airline pilot, I have to ask, what was what's been your scariest experience? Did you ever think you're going down? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, nothing that dramatic. I've had to, really, honestly, my scariest experiences were in the Air Force because I this was not my plan, but. Most of my 20 years I spent in the military was teaching flight school. Mm. Um, I had plans of what I wanted to do was fly big air refueling tankers, fly with a crew, go all around the world. I did do that for a couple of years, but 
when I graduated flight school, the Air Force asked me to stay where I was and be an instructor pilot for the next four years. Wasn't really my first choice, but it was, <laughs> I'm so glad that happened. Um, huh. And so it was, I found that I really had a passion for teaching. But back to what you were asking, yeah, when you're teaching new people how to fly jets and, and <laughs> land them for the first time, yeah, yeah. there are a couple of moments in there that'll, <laughs> it'll test your nerves. Yeah. And I imagine uh, some of those early pilots, I mean, they, they kind of land the plane pretty hard, right? <laughs> yeah. There's a few times where, you know, we, we'd smack the ground pretty good. And I, you know, I'd make a, a comment like, Hey, take that Texas, just try and get my student to loosen up a little bit and chuckle and hey, let's go try it again. That's awesome. Yeah. There are a couple firm landings. Nice. So I'll give a little background as far as how this interview came to be. Uh, you had reached out to me just, you know, being very kind and, and saying what a fan you are of leading saints and the content here. And like many people do that, you made a suggestion of maybe a type of content you'd like to hear. And that was uh, being an airline pilot, you travel a lot. And so a bishop who travels a lot, there's some uh, intricacies there that uh, make it tricky at times when you're not in person or you can't be to every activity. And you said, I should maybe find somebody to talk about that. And I said, well, what about you? Yeah, you turned <laughs> the uh, tables on me Kurt, real fast. That's right. And I hope people listening understand that. Like I'm, I love ideas. But it's not like I'm holding back all these people like, well, I'll interview once they ask that we talk to you. Most of the time, I just need somebody to talk to about these things. So I'm glad you were willing. And again, as you know, with these How I Lead interviews, it's not like I find the leader who's figured it out and they have all the answers, but we're just going to speak from your experience and uh, see what we can learn. So sound good? Sounds like a plan. Cool. And you put together a great outline here of some thoughts and principles we're going to go through. So this is going to be a little bit different of a how I lead interview that we're not just going to talk generally about Ryan's leadership experience, but more about how he handles things as a bishop who travels a lot. And so maybe just put into context your the demographic of your ward. I assume being an Arizona ward is pretty traditional neighborhood ward that good support, lots of people to choose from for different callings and whatnot. But how would you describe your the demographics and geographics of your ward? That's a, yeah, that is a good question. It's uh, in the Phoenix area, really where you have a really high concentration of members of the church is in what referred to as the East Valley, mm-hmm. Mesa, and down a little bit Southeast area, Gilbert, uh, Queen Creek. That's pretty much higher densities of members of the church. We have both release time and early morning seminary where we are, mm. if that if that gives any indication of kind of, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a fair amount. Yeah, there's a fair amount. My youth program, isn't huge. I've got maybe 25 uh, active youth in the ward, 400 people on the rolls, and about two, I'd say 225 in Sacramento meeting right now. Okay. So not a lot of like uh, young families or families with teenagers, would you say? Not as many as I'd like to have. Yeah. We, uh, one thing that's kind of unique is we have a, a medical school that's nearby that has medical, dental, physical therapy. And so mm-hmm. we get a lot of students that that had come down from Utah, a lot of BYU grads that um, want to get into the medical field. And so we have a, I'd say at times almost a quarter of the ward are young medical student couples. Yeah. And so that's, that's a fun demographic. So we, I mean, they contribute a lot. Yeah. So uh, maybe articulate what your travel schedule is like as a full-time airline pilot. If you're an airline pilot, it can be very different depending on who you work for and what kind of airplane you fly. Without getting too specific into that, the way it works for me and my company, I'm gone usually three, some four nights a week. And usually that's in one chunk. 
Yeah. And so to keep the conversation simple, let's just say that three to four days a week. And so when I go to work, it's not, it's nothing anywhere close to nine to five. In fact, what gets to be a challenge for me is if I know that there's something I really need to be in town for during the week. Uh, maybe it's a, a uh, one of my kids has something at school or there's the uh, the church activity where I really need to be there. Sometimes I've got the difficult choice of deciding, okay, well, does that mean I'm going to be at church on Sunday or mm. am I going to be able to be at church on Tuesday night? And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing I've got to deal with. And I've had to juggle that my whole career, but uh, yeah. I've made it work. I've made it work. Yeah. So you sort of have to, Pick, pick what it could mean. Maybe I don't show up on Sunday, but I'll be there for the Wednesday night, uh, you know, activity that the young women are putting on or whatever it is. Right. Exactly. Because if, if I'm going to try and I try to always start with a schedule that doesn't have anything on Sunday. Yeah. And then sometimes I'll trade with other pilots to say, I'll take, I'll take your trip if you'll take my trip. And it, uh, that works out pretty well that I have that kind of flexibility if I have someone willing to, to trade around with me, but that's, yeah, that's just the deal. Going to work means being gone for three or four days. And so it's when I have to move something on a calendar, that can mean like it's like a bowling ball effect in terms of things I need to move around. Yeah, for sure. And so when you're when you do have to work on on Sunday, I, I mean, are you still connected to some degree through Zoom or whatnot? Or I guess if you're at 30,000 feet, you're not you're in the cockpit uh, working. I try and stay connected as much as I can, depending on what that day's schedule is. If if I can, um, for instance, if I can dial in for bishopric meeting or ward council, or now that Zoom has become such a such a popular thing, we can use that, and and I'll still participate that way. Yeah. And do you get many like breaks in between flights? Because it seems like once you land, you just load the you're playing again, you're off. But uh, do you get opportunities to do that a lot when you are working on Sundays? Yeah. When I, in between, like my typical flights uh, could be anywhere from two to four, depending on how long or short they are. Yeah. Flights in a day. So oftentimes at the end of a flight, I'll look at my phone and I might have three text messages, uh, at least that many emails and a couple of voicemails. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'll kind of look and see, does any of it, could it use my attention or probably more importantly, what of this, if I quickly peruse it, can I, do I have time to delegate out to somebody else, another leader in my ward before it's time for me to go fly to Chicago or wherever I got to go next. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into some of these uh, principles here and that'll give you an opportunity to uh, talk in more detail of some of these things you've lightly touched on. But so the first one being as far as like, maybe just run through some things you suggest in general, as far as the list here, as you are able, ask the Lord how to turn travel schedule from a weakness into a strength. How do you go about doing that? Sure. I have learned as a bishop to love Ether 1227 more than I did before I was a bishop. And the biggest reason why is because I used to think of a weakness as like a is a transgression or a sin, something that you're that you uh spiritually have got to need to fix in your life. Mm-hmm. But professionally I've learned it can be something I'm just not very good at yet, or something that I haven't been able to figure out. And for me, oftentimes it's it's how do I figure out how to do everything that I'm asked to do professionally, in my family, and at work. For a while, after I left active duty Air Force, after 10 years of that, I switched to being a reservist. And so for 10 years, I was a priesthood leader in some capacity, being a bishop, state presidency member, or now a bishop again, and an Air Force, Air Force Reservist, airline pilot, and dad. 
and husband. And it was, it was tough. But what I've learned is, first of all, there are people that have gone before me that have done this. And that gives me strength to thinking about that. Yeah. My dad used to talk about a gentleman he worked with. My dad worked for an airline that was called Western Airlines. He was a finance executive. And there was a gentleman, Dewey Gerard. He was a member of the second quorum, the 70. And my dad talked to me about him, about how he was a state president in Kaysville, Utah. And he was asked by the company to be the vice president of flight operations at their headquarters in L.A. Wow. And what that meant that Elder Gerard, at the time, President Gerard, what he would do is, I don't know exactly his schedule, but he would basically on Monday, he would get on an airplane and go fly to L.A. and come home like on Friday. Wow. And, and then when he comes home, he's a state president. And the reality is a lot of general authorities act like that also in terms of what, what they need to do. And um, I thought, okay, I don't, I don't want to be any of those kind of guys, but I do want to learn how to be stretched. I want to learn to be more capable. And so when I think about people I, that have done hard things, it helps me understand, hey, I, I, can do, I can do something like that too, but I don't quite know how, Lord, can you help me? And as I go to him, I'll humble myself. He's, he's shown me how I can make my weakness of my travel schedule, my infinite amount of things I need to juggle, how I can turn that into a strength. And one example of that was when I, I, was, I was struggling with this whole thing as a member of a state presidency and trying to juggle all those things I just mentioned. And we had an idea. My state president traveled almost as much as I did. I was gone. He was gone. And we were trying to have a state presidency meeting. And this is about maybe 2011, 2012, this thing called FaceTime had just come out. And we thought, why don't we, I don't know. What do you think? Should we try this? Could we have a state presidency meeting where a couple of guys are in the state president's office and two of us are in hotel rooms in different places? And I don't know, let's try. So that idea now it's like, well, it's obvious. That's what everyone yeah. does today. <laughs> that was a little far out there, you know, and then, but we prayed about it. And the Lord helped us understand, there you go, you're onto something here. And we had one of the most successful state presidency meetings that we've ever had. Maybe it's because we weren't all in the same room and we couldn't get on tangents and yeah. go down rabbit holes. I don't know. But that's just one example about how the Lord has helped me. Today, with technology like that, Zoom is so commonplace. I have a mobile bishop's office in any city and in any hotel. So, what I do now, and another example of how he's made this weakness become a strength is he helped me understand, hey, I just put a regular white shirt and a regular tie in my bag with me. And then in, in the evenings or late mornings, depending on what kind of a schedule I have, my executive secretary will set up appointments via Zoom. And I can be a bishop in Honolulu or I can be a bishop in Boston. And, and that has become a huge strength to me. And I could go on and on, but Kirk, yeah. he's continually when I've asked for help, he's helped me. That's awesome. And so you'll typically do anything from, uh, I mean, I was maybe not temple recommend interviews since maybe your counselors can do that as well, but, uh, but you'll, you'll meet with people that maybe are just looking for the Bishop's guidance on whether it's a transgression or, or help with with life. That's, that's, that's true. And I've had, I can tell you that I've had zero degradation in in the intensity of the spirit in some Mm -hmm. of those difficult conversations of worthiness interviews, like you just suggested, when we'll start with a prayer and just like you and I did before this interview. Yeah. And, and then we go into it and it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so I can still, I can still bless people's life as a bishop 
thanks to this technology, almost no matter where I am. Yeah, that's great. Anything else as far as uh, you know, turning your weakness and of schedule into a strength that we haven't mentioned? I've also learned that I could be a little bit better about some um, perceived or imperceived downtimes. Hmm. For instance, if I'm in a terminal and I'm waiting for my next flight, instead of just kind of sitting in a pilot's lounge and vegging or something like that, hey, I, there's probably something I could be doing with that 20 minutes. And so I become more productive. There, there's sometimes with my schedule where I'm actually not flying the airplane and I'm riding in the back. And I'll use that time now to prepare a talk, a lesson. Um, I'll review a church roster and be prayerfully thinking about callings that I need to extend. And then finally, I've really used, utilized time in the cockpit. If uh, the first 20 to 30 minutes and the last 20 to 30 minutes of a flight is really, really busy. But there are times I do quite a bit of flying to Hawaii. And when the autopilot's on, there's stuff you're doing. And I'm monitoring the systems, our flight plan, our navigation, et cetera. But there's still a lot of time when my thoughts can go to things that are spiritual and be totally engaged with what I'm doing professionally. So I've kept a pad of paper with me in the cockpit. And when I've got a thought, I'll just, I'll jot it down. And I've prepared, I don't know how many talks for funerals, sacrament meetings, weddings, just thoughts about how to help somebody with a transgression when I'm at 35,000 feet staring out the window at the stars. And um, he's, he has really helped me understand that what you might think is a total weakness, actually, in a way, it's been a, it's been a strength. Yeah. I've, got, I've got time where if I were home, and I'm not saying I wouldn't rather be home, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, but, if I, but the reality is if I were home, there are other things where I could either get sidetracked or I'm involved in, but he's kind of given me because I do travel some ability to have some quiet time where I can be focused on his work. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So my mind goes to this often when I hear about efficient leaders, right. And there's some great, you know, tools, some great tactics, some ways to, uh, you know, shape your day that will help you be most effective. Where, where would you say like, uh, what does self-care look like for you? And, you know, with a busy, schedule, especially as you travel, <laughs> is there much self-care that goes on? That's a very fair question. <laughs> and maybe there's um, not, and that's fine. But <laughs> You know what, what I like to do on, on layovers uh, pre-COVID is I was trying to get to see how many temples I could get to around the country. Oh, nice. And so I would use, uh, I just kind of budget for it. And I use, would use Uber and, and, or sometimes I'd run a car. There are a few times I'm realizing I'm fine with a guy who's a member of the church. Uh-huh. And, um, and there are times where we've rented a car and we've gone to the Portland temple or the Kansas city temple. And, um, so when I'm on the road, that's some definite self-care for me. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, then how would you say, what does it look like as far as being a dad and husband uh, during that time? Obviously with any leader, what, even if they don't travel out, there's always that balance going on. And so how do you strike that balance? One, I think you need to look and see what, um, how does that best work in your situation, in your family? I, again, I don't profess to know exactly what everybody should do with their circumstance. But what I can tell you is if you ask the Lord for help, he'll point you in the right direction. For yeah. me, what I try to emphasize with my kids is, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry that I missed your birthday this year because I had to be gone for a three-day chunk of time over your birthday. But I called you, I checked in with you, and I promise we're going to do something fun just you and I when I get back. 
And so a few years ago, I had to sell this to my son on his 11th birthday. And he, and he looked at me and he nodded and he goes, dad, you know what I want to do for my birthday? But you can't tell mom. And I thought, well, that's probably, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> and he said, can I go someplace just with you that is not in this country? Oh, awesome. And I thought, yeah, I can pull that off. So um, <laughs> I end up calling a buddy that works for another airline that does a lot of international flying. And I asked him where he was going next week. And he said he had a Hong Kong trip. And I said, all right, sweet. I'm going to jump on. So oh, that's cool. an advantage I have with my job is I can fly for free and so can my family. And so yeah. we hopped on his flight and I took my kid to Hong Kong for a day. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, not too many people can a- do that. Yeah, it was fun. I found out That's there was awesome. a Hong Kong Disneyland. And so I took my 11-year-old to Hong Kong Disneyland on his birthday. And then the next day, we flew the 16 hours all the way back. Um, That's awesome. It's kind of unique. you know. So yeah. I try and emphasize when I can do some things like that, that I recognize it is unique. And yeah. so there's some downsides to how much dad travels. But I try to be very cognizant of how can I, how can I also turn that into a blessing for my family. Yeah, for sure. And the next principle is uh, about technology as well, but you know, just making technology your ally. Any other tools or apps or things you use in order to uh, use technology as your ally? But I'm uh, almost addicted to my app that I use as a to-do list. Oh yeah, and um, you know there are a hundred of them out there. Whatever best for you, but I've got one where, where I can sort through different topics. So quite honestly, if I need to be focused right now on something other than church, I can click out and just sort to where I'm just looking at business things I have to get done. Mm-hmm. Or if it's, okay, this is a period of time where I'm going to try and knock out some church work, then I'll just go and I'll sort through and, okay, what are the church things I need to do? So I'm in that every single day and that helps to keep me focused. Yeah, It, it reminds me of things that might seem not so important, but I've got a recurring reminder to check on ward birthdays. It's something oh, yeah. that I do to try and stay engaged with my ward members, no matter where I am. I wish everybody a a happy birthday on their birthday. And so I just, with everything I've got going on in my brain, it's helpful on my little to-do app that it's a daily reminder, hey, send out your birthday greeting. And so so it's a way I can help stay engaged with my more no matter where I am. Yeah, love that. And again, it's not that, you know, that app you use is something magical or anything, but it's just mainly about everybody needs to find their system, right? And live in the system that makes sure that, you know, you'll, you'll get those prompts or, uh, you'll you'll return to a certain app or list so that you can uh, make sure that you're not missing anything, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It would be ridiculous for me to suggest this is exactly what you should do because it's going to be dependent on your personality, what works best for your job. But yeah, there is so much out there with technology that can help you manage your time and manage your responsibilities when you travel. Yeah, or if you're just you're just you know most bishops are busy in general, no matter what you do, and so yeah, there's a lot out there. And uh, you mentioned, you know, texting uh, as far as birthdays and whatnot, but you use texting in, in a variety of, of ways. Uh, maybe go through some of those ways that uh, you use the simple technology of texting. Yeah, you bet. We have um, just, you know, a channel that we use just within our bishopric, one that I use within, that's just with my counselors. And another one that I use that includes the, the clerk and the executive secretary. Mm-hmm. And we use that pretty much on a daily basis. That way we don't have to wait until just, Sunday in bishopric meeting that I might not actually even be at. Yeah. To be able to make sure that we're constantly keeping track of the Lord's work and that it stays organized. Yeah. And uh, is that so, just a simple group text that you put together or is it a certain app that you use? I use Signal. That's uh 
one of my counselors uses that for work and I'd never heard of it before two years ago. And, um, he turned me onto it and it's, it's been fantastic. Nice. And it's just a simple group texting app. It is. And I've chosen to just use that for church stuff for any other, just me texting other way. I mean, I, then I use regular SMS texting. I, I use this particular app just for church oh, and nice. it helps keep me organized. Yeah. That's a great idea. Great idea. And then uh, you mentioned as far as like callings and releasings via text or even some confessions via text. Like, how does that work? I think you've got to be very careful about letting technology then steer you to where you're becoming inappropriately expeditious. Yeah. And it's not the handbook is is the guy, not not Ryan Adams. But <laughs> I yeah. I have had that where I'll have maybe it's just because they're timid. Maybe it's because they think it's going to be easier. I don't know what, but I've had youth, I've had adults that just want to like literally text me a confession. And I, I'm always kind. I always thank them for reaching out to me and invite them to, to then link up with me further so we can talk about this. But I'll use texting for a a lot of spiritual, I'll say one-liner guidance. And by that, I mean, just a thought here and there, but I don't use it for an in-depth conversation, especially one that might involve emotion. Or mm-hmm. someone where I might want them to see my body language and really be able to connect with their bishop. And so I'm just careful about not letting it become, I call it inappropriately expeditious by just, hey, let me check this off. Okay, we took care of this because I did it in a text in two lines yeah. and then moved on. Yeah. So I, I'm careful not to do that. And, you know, I, I saw, I remember a couple of times as a council in the state presidency visiting a ward and, and walking down the hallway. And I think, wait, what did I just hear? And I, you know, I'd see a, a well-meaning counselor, but they just they just extended a release or they just called somebody to a position in the ward in the hallway while they're walking down the hallway with their family. And the handbook talks about how callings and releases should be done in a dignified manner. And yeah. so the spirit's there. I kind of worry that if I'm using texting for something like that, that yeah. I'm not in line with the handbook. And more importantly, I'm not in line with the spirit. So yeah. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you just sort of have these different levels of, uh, or tools of, of intensity, right? Like maybe if it's a simple question about brownies at the barbecue, then you can do, do a text if it's, and maybe then there's something even more intensive conversation, but as long as you're on zoom, you can see each other, maybe that will work. And then I'm sure there's some where it's like, listen, maybe when I get back to town, we can meet in person and, uh, really dive into this. Right. Yeah. I've had some emotionally intense conversations over zoom that have been fantastic. And I'll tell you, there've been a few other times for no other reason than I just kind of felt it wasn't the best idea. And I know that's the spirit talking to me mm-hmm. that I decided to let's just hold off and then let's wait until I'm in town and where we can sit down and talk about this together in the Bishop's office. A friend of mine, who's a, who's a Bishop just told me about how he had the exact same impression. He was going to extend a calling to a relief society president and he was going to be doing it over zoom. Nothing wrong with that. I've done that plenty of times. But he just felt for some reason he shouldn't right then and there. And he told me later on that he did extend the calling in his office. And she was extremely nervous and had a few pretty deep concerns about the calling. And he's he recognized that he may not have been able to pick up on that over Zoom because there was a lot of fidgeting and body language where he could realize she had some serious concerns. And he may not have picked up on that over Zoom. And so he's glad he followed the spirit in that case and waited and didn't let technology make him too expeditious. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And, and yeah, you're just sort of always gauging that. And uh, obviously when it can be done in person, then, you know, you make that, make that call. So yeah. anything else as far as like a uh, technology that you use or how you use it uh, that we haven't covered? Uh, I just, it turned for a cool story with my uh, young women's president. I called while I was in Maui, but I couldn't get a, <laughs> I, my schedule, her schedule and her husband's schedules just were not jiving. And uh-huh. so this is prior to COVID. And, and I wondered if, I don't know, I've, I've never extended a calling before over technology, but <laughs> let's try it. So we all got on the video conferencing in the, in the same virtual place, started with a prayer, extended a calling. And it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful spiritual opportunity for all of us. So I didn't want to, I don't want to give the impression that it's a bad idea to extend a calling over Zoom. I'm just saying that there, right. there's sometimes you might want to listen to the spirit and, uh, yeah, because there might be a reason why in person might be better for this situation with that person at that time. Awesome. The next principle is uh, if the bishop is gone, still have your meetings. I love this one. How, do, how does that work? You know, I found it when when I am gone, it's it's kind of been easy for I don't mean to throw my my counselors and my bishopric under the bus because they are <laughs> phenomenal. Sure. They are. I've got a rock star lineup. I'm I'm very blessed. But I found that if it's the idea of, well, Bishop's out of town, so we're going to cancel Bishopric meeting and, and ward council this week. We needed to stop doing that because things fall through the cracks and we kind of get out of sync of our normal routine. And hey, if we're not doing that because it's state conference is one thing, but hey, if the Bishop is going to be out of town two Sundays this month, let's not just assume we can't continue to go on as a ward just because the Bishop's not in town. And yeah. so I think that kind of speaks to them really understanding when I'm delegating you authority, I trust you. And so, so take it and run. I've got to give a little bit of, a little bit of guidance, a little bit of teaching about maybe a few things that I would love to see discussed, but it's been a little bit of an effort to really, really show that No, no, really, I trust you. I don't need to be there. Run, run with it. And you first counselor or second counselor preside in, in my absence and, yeah, and, and keep going with your meetings. I mean, that's not a, that's not a handbook thing, but that's, that's just something that I have learned that it really, I think it's just the next level of delegation is letting people understand really no kidding. You can function without the Bishop physically right there. Yeah. And I think it's, it's never helpful for every meeting to sort of be up in the air. It's like, Oh, is that happening? Or is it not? It's probably not. So I'll probably not plan on it. And, you know, then just sort of creates this little chaos that can grow and, and doesn't create routine. And, and as human beings, we love routine, right? And uh, the more you create right. that, the better. Um, and I think if <laughs> this is maybe a good, like, I don't know, a good check on your leadership style when, if every time you're not there and they do cancel the meeting, that probably means that maybe the way you're handling the meeting is like, well, this is all about the bishop's opinion or the this person's opinion. And so we can't move forward without this person here. Then you sort of know, oh, maybe you have a delegation problem or maybe they don't they don't know that I trust them as much. And so, you know, and so I think that's a good gauge on how well your delegation is actually working or how well they know that you, yeah, you do trust them. Right. I'm kind of giving away my secrets here, but there are two reasons why I don't conduct bishopric meeting and I don't conduct word council. You don't need to tell me that I preside. I trust me. I know. And I feel the weight of that. Trust me. (laughs) Yeah. But I feel that when I don't conduct the meeting, I asked my executive secretary to do it actually is because I'm trying to get other people to talk more. So they're not just waiting for the bishop to talk. Yeah. And the other reason why is because I do travel. I don't want them to feel it's just so weird to be carrying on and conduct a meeting without the bishop in the room. I want them to be comfortable with it. 
because even when he is here, the executive secretary is the one that, that conducts the meeting. And, and I've tried to get them used to talking without it being me so much. And um, so that's one of the things that I do to try and manage that. Yeah. And another dynamic that's coming to mind is uh, obviously if you're encouraging them to meet with, even if you're not there and you you're saying you trust them, then you can't come back and be like, wait, you decided on what? No, we're not doing that. You know, we're going to do a, B and C. And that's, that's how I see it, Right. Like, You've got to let those things move forward, even though maybe your opinion is different, I would imagine. I think that that's really, it's really easy to say that it's important you delegate when you're a bishop and especially when you, when you travel. But really to understand what that, what that means, I, I think has a lot to do with understanding that you need to be comfortable that people will make decisions in your absence that may not be exactly how you would have done it. And you have got to be okay with that. As long as it's not outside of the handbook yeah. or we're going, we're going against something that's not doctrinal. Obviously, you got to step in. You've got to correct that. But you've got to trust your people. And when you say that I, I trust you and, and go on and lead without me, you got to mean it. And one of the ways you know that you really mean it is when you trust them to make a decision and you're okay with the fact that, oh, that isn't how I would have done it. And, oh, look, it still turned out just fine. Yeah, I think that that that's a level of delegation you've got to get at. If you're going to be, I think it's important regardless. But if you're traveling, it's essential because you're not there all the time. You got to let people realize they can function without you and not be worried. Oh my gosh, did I screw up without the bishop telling me exactly what to do and how to do it? Yeah, for sure. And there's a great a great interview I did in the Motivating Saints uh, virtual summit, and that that library is in the Core Leader Library. It's with Paul Gustafson, and he talks about this concept of uh, when he, he was a, he traveled a lot as a consultant and when he was Bishop and he talked about how he went through that. So I'd, I'd point people that way as well. Really, really good stuff. Uh, next principle is you are not nine one one nor four one one. You are a Bishop that travels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm not trying to, to sound like I'm the authority on this, but, it, but <laughs> having been in this seat three different times and also having been a counselor to a bishop, having been a counselor to branch president, having been a counselor to state president, I feel like I have been around the block a little bit. And there is a phenomenon in the church that exists. And that is people think that sometimes if I have a problem, I must go to the bishop right now. <laughs> and the brethren are speaking about this a lot lately in, yeah. in the conference. Um, but, you know, an example is I remember as a counselor to my bishop during tithing settlement time, I was in the clerk's office helping to count tithing with the clerk. The bishop was in his office conducting a tithing settlement, and the old school phone rings in the clerk's office. And if I remember correctly, also went into the bishop's office. The same, in fact, I know it did because I answered the call and I recognized the voice. And they said, I, I need the bishop. It's very important. And I said, Well, he's in a tithing settlement interview right now. And they didn't care. I said, I need to talk to him immediately. It is really, and I don't remember if they used the word emergency or not, but that's what they were indicating. And so I, I thought, oh, well, shoot, I better, I better get the bishop. So I, I knock on the bishop's door. I apologize. He, he was just finishing up from what I remember anyway. So the people left and he picked up the phone in his office. He had a conversation. And then like five, 10 minutes later, he came to me and was shaking his head. And the bottom line, it was, it was something that was full of drama and was not an emergency. There was just some sort of a dispute between husband and wife or something like that, which is unfortunate, but it certainly doesn't mean it's an emergency. Yeah, And so 
I would say that probably every ward has got, I don't know, maybe two, 3%. I don't know what you experienced when you were a bishop. You know that it exists. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's not, I'm not speaking down to those people. It's just, they don't quite get it that if everybody did what they did, the bishop wouldn't have time to breathe. And so I think you've got to, um, those people that think of you as 911, you have to help set them straight with love that, hey, <laughs> you, you can't come to me with every emergency. I need you to try and figure some things out on your own and then help them understand that they've got ministers and they're always going president. Because if you don't, they will suck up your time that you don't, you don't have, especially if you travel. Yeah. You just don't, you don't have time to be answering their phone calls two or three times a week on the very limited time you have. I've had just in the last month, I've had texts from people asking me about, hey, Bishop, can is there an apartment in your ward that I can rent? We're looking in the area. I had a text a few weeks ago asking if I could find a notary because they were traveling in the area and they wondered if anybody in my ward was a notary and could I set them up with them? Wow. Um, <laughs> and I think it's now that, you know, the Bishop's phone number is printed on the church website. It's pretty easy right. to get a hold of. Yep. Anyway. It's a thing. It, it exists. And so I'm not saying <laughs> shut people down. You need to act like Christ would act. But at the same time, Christ sometimes was a little bit lovingly firm in redirecting people. And yeah. I think you've got to do that. You're not 911. You're not 411. You're, you're, you're a bishop and you're going to need to redirect people or else yeah. they will suck up your time. And do you usually forward on the text to, to somebody who can handle it? Or do you just reply to the person and say, maybe reach out to so-and-so? I'm not going to say that I've never replied to something like that, but yeah. I've got a couple of sisters in the, in the ward that, that routinely say, hey, Bishop, if there's ever anything I can do for you, you're gone so much, please let me know. And I've taken a couple of them up on that. And I've said, hey, for instance, we have a lot of young students that are moving into our area. I get texts all the time from people wondering about apartments. When I get these, could I just forward them to you? And would you mind just answering saying, I'm sorry, the Bishop Travels is really busy. Can I help you? Yeah. And so I've got a couple of sisters in the Relief Society that are my go-tos. And when I get those kind of texts, I I just I funnel them off and uh and they take care of them for me. And it's super yeah. helpful. Yeah, I I love that idea of you know having people in place like that. You know, the bishop I was the word of had a very high welfare demand and having a system of place that there were certain individuals where those requests would go to them first. So if they came to me, I would just forward them on there, knowing that they were going to be taken care of, looked after, and when I needed to be looped in down the you know, down the chain, then that, that would work, you know? And, and so having systems, or if you are overwhelmed by a certain type, think, well, maybe I could call a certain person or have a counselor in the recite presidency or elders corn presidency, just be the go-to guy for that kind of request. Right. How many, how many people in your ward come up to you and say, Hey, Bishop, is there anything I can do for you? It happens oh, yeah. a lot. And that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> so it, maybe instead of just saying, no, no, thanks. I'm good. Maybe keep track of those people that are so willing to ask that kind of a question. and. That's not a calling you're going to find in a handbook, but hey, if you've got people who are willing to do something to help you out, and every now and again, if you think, man, I could really use help with this because I don't have time, oh my heavens, use those people. It yeah. doesn't have to be an informal calling. Yeah. Awesome. And then I have a, a section here about uh, being a PhD level delegator. <laughs> how, how have you learned that? And, and really just break this down because this is like one of those cliches that we throw around in church leadership, like, oh, be sure you delegate more and delegate this. but at the end of the day, there I think there's a lot of people that just simply don't know what that means or what that looks like, and it is a skill set. It is. I kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but you know where I would start is your guest you had, uh, you've had a couple of times, Dustin Peterson. Oh, yeah, he, he's great. 
He's great. And by the way, that's your interview with him about purpose. Yeah. That's what kind of made me a regular with your podcast. I was listening to it going to the airport once and I thought, this is amazing. And I actually sent him an email and we're now friends. And yeah, nice. we, yeah, we, we connect with, uh, I've actually had lunch with him before. Oh, cool. Anyway, I would go and listen to Dustin Peterson's podcast about talents. And it is almost life-changing, I think, as yeah, a leader. And then sit down individually with your ward council and learn what their talents and strengths are. And that is your, that is your spiritual arsenal that you can use for delegating. And because you might realize, okay, I've got this, this problem that might normally go to Relief Society, but the reality is, is that my primary president is so talented at being quiet and soft, yet, yet just motivating. This issue might be really good for her because she has a talent of motivating people just with her emotion, as an example. And you wouldn't know that if you don't take the time to really learn what the talents are of your work council. Yeah, I love that. After that, I would say you really need to also know your audience. For a while, I had a job in the Air Force where I taught an instructor course. So I was I was training um, people that are already Air Force pilots how to become instructor pilots so that they can go off and teach teach at flight school. And the thing is, is that my trainees sometimes could be a pilot that um, was pretty inexperienced. They're pretty new at being an Air Force pilot. Then I could also have another student that um, was a colonel who had been in the Air Force for 22 years. And they were required for the new job to go through my, my course. But you don't talk to a 22-year senior officer and pilot the same way as you would as a new guy because it's a different experience level. Mm-hmm. Once I even, I had a couple students that were members of the, the Thunderbird demonstration team. So Really, do I have anything to teach a member of the Thunderbirds about flying in formation? (laughs) Please, I I don't. But what I do have is I recognize my audience with that guy and realize he is amazing at flying in formation, but he talks about it at the astrophysics level. And I'm analyzing this and, and realizing I need to help him learn how to teach it at the basic level because he's going to be teaching flight school with brand new people. He needs to learn how to talk about this with the big fat color crowns and giant Legos that you have in kindergarten. And he's not there yet. He only knows how to talk about the PHE level. So I had to analyze my audience and then teach to it. So same thing in your delegating. You might have someone on your ward council that's a relatively new member or someone that's at the beginning on the outset, they're very timid. And so you might need to be a little bit more specific in delegating. Here's what. I'm asking you to consider, and here's how I'd go about getting an answer, and then let's talk about it next week and tell me how it went. Or you also might have an elders form present that used to be a bishop. You're not going to delegate the same way to that person as you would to the, to my first example. Mm-hmm. My state president is so talented at that. He knows that I've done this before, but he also knows that I want to be a very humble bishop, and I want to learn from him, and I want his correction and his guidance. So I ask for it, but he'll also tell me. Hey, Bishop, you've done this before. So I'm over here if you need me, but you're about to watch me get out of your way and just go lead. And, yeah. and I really, I really appreciate that. I think you'll be in a more effective delegator if you know your audience and you don't try and delegate the same way at the same level to everybody. And your leaders will appreciate that also. Yeah. And what is, I mean, 
how do you judge that? Maybe you don't, you're not familiar with the person or their background, or uh, maybe they haven't had a lot of, you know, church callings that would give you an inclination of how, you know, solid they are as far as falling through with things. Is there anything you do in, in, you know, as you delegate something to somebody to make sure that they know the steps or they know what to do? I ask if I need to, if I can't quite figure it out on my own, or I'm not sure I can ask them how comfortable they are with the, <laughs> with the situation. And I'll give you an example, Kurt, when I was, um, the last time I was serving as a bishop, I remember being on a layover in Las Vegas and the city doesn't really matter, but I remember having a lengthy conversation, walking around the parking lot of my hotel, looking towards the Las Vegas strip. I'll never forget it because my counselor just called me and letting me know that a sister in our ward, who was a brand new member of the church, had just got into labor, had delivered a premature baby, and the baby was not expected to live the rest of the day. Mm, wow. And I'm crushed. My heart goes out to them. I wanted so badly to be in town and to be able to put my arms around that family and to show them all the love a bishop has for them. But I wasn't there. My counselor, this guy is so capable. He used to be an army ranger. He's done things I could never even dream of. This is the first time he'd had a priesthood leadership responsibility. And he was honest and open with me that, Bishop, I don't know what to do. But he was the one telling me about the news. And so I said, here's what I need you to do. Would you please go to the hospital? Act like you think I would act. But more importantly, you go act the way the Savior would act. He'll help you. And then what I need you to do is review the handbook of instructions. It'll talk about how it's appropriate to if you can, to help the father give the baby a name and a blessing. And the father may not be in a position where he can emotionally handle that. And if so, I'm asking you to do it, please. And then you put your arms around them and you just follow the spirit. Now, here's the deal. That counselor and I have very different personalities. And I had to completely trust, though, the Lord called him to this. I didn't call him to this. I made a recommendation, but the Lord called him. He could handle this. He needed some specific guidance in this because he'd never done anything close to this before. And then I asked him to follow up with me later on. And he did. And he told me how, how it went. And he did marvelously. It was fantastic. Again, if my counselor had had a lot of priesthood leadership experience, maybe he'd been around that block a few times, I wouldn't have gone into that, that specific of instruction, but it was appropriate for him. And um, it helped provide as as spiritual an outcome as absolutely possible. And the baby was given a, a name, a blessing, and there were some, the baby passed away. There were some rocky times, but not that long afterwards, that mother came up to me and told me about how grateful she was that that counselor was there and the way he handled himself. And she goes, he doesn't act like you, Bishop, but man, he was good. <laughs> and he was so helpful to us. Yeah. And we felt the spirit. Wow. And, um, I don't know if that example. Yeah, that's really helpful because when we think about delegation, we often default, at least I do, my mind goes to administrative tasks, right? But oftentimes it's the, when you're the, the bishop, you're, you know, quote unquote, the father of the ward and you want to be there in, in those tough times and, you know, hold someone's hand as they weep or whatever. You have to realize even those have to be delegated at times and uh, sometimes some coaching and encouragement that way of how to go in there and be soft and loving and, and listening and, and be as the savior would be is needed. Yeah. That's really uh, I, I think on the flip side of that, Kurt, what'll crush delegation and crush your ability to be someone that can effectively delegate and someone that believes you mm. 
mm-hmm. is if you're constantly stepping on them. I've watched before a, a bishop who sitting on the stand while the counselor is conducting. And if an announcement wasn't quite done exactly right or whatever, he'd quickly get up to correct it. And I'm not talking about something that's doctrinally off or, yeah, yeah, you right. know, we just full on forgot the invocation. And it was, <laughs> you know, make sure you tell them that it's, it's this and that. And, and then I watched it carry over into, you know, our old school opening exercises for priesthood. The counselor was conducting opening exercises, but the bishop had to get up and constantly had to make sure it was, it was done exactly his way. And yeah. it was, I thought to myself, as I watched that, would they ever really feel comfortable in taking a delegated assignment from you, Bishop? Because I think they would be constantly worried that they couldn't ever quite do it good enough yeah. or your way. You've got to be comfortable with them doing it. And it may not be the way you would do it. And sometimes, you know what? It's even better that way. Yeah. Don't hover all over your people. Yeah. What else about delegation are we, are we missing? This is some good stuff. You know, I, I think that delegation helps me with what my priorities are as a bishop. Because my, your mind can go all over the place. Because there's so many things that you need, to, uh, you need to accomplish as a bishop. If you go through the handbook. Yes, there are the five key aspects of being a bishop. But then if you also go line by line, you, I don't know how many, a hundred times you might see the bishop or the bishopric has responsibility for dot, dot, mm-hmm. dot. Here's what, what I do is that I try to focus first and foremost on the youth and on the young single adults. Second, on members that are in Dow but not holding a current temple recommend. And then third, I try to visit members in their home when they, when they move into the ward. I'd like to at least be able to have a frame of mind that I know what their home looks like, been there before. I can kind of take a spiritual temperature of the, of, of the family or the room, and I join them in the family prayer. Those are three things that that's what, that's my lifting. That's what, now I, I use a little delegating in terms of how to schedule that, but that's what I focus on. If it's not that, I try and delegate everything else out in the way I just mentioned so that I can be focused on what I need to be focused on as a bishop. And I try not to get too easily sidetracked by other things that can be delegated to other people. I love that. This this proactive effort. And and if you really want to delegate effectively, you first have to sort of make that list of top three or top five of, you know, these things, this is just what I do. This I feel like is important and I'm going to do it. And uh, even though I'll, you know, you could have your counselors go out and, and do visits, but you know that's something that you've prioritized in your leadership approach, and uh, it's probably blessed your experience and blessed the members of your ward because of it. Yeah, it helps me stay focused on where do I want to be, and if it's if it's not in there, it's not like I don't ever do it, but it causes me to think if it's not one of those three things, is this something that I can delegate out? And then I lean towards doing that instead of just taking it on myself with my limited time as I travel. And I don't want to take opportunities away from other people to to serve and and to use their leadership and sometimes their keys. Yeah. And, you know, in the context of being a a leader that travels, I'm sure just like when anybody travels to some degree, you come back and there's sort of these tasks that suddenly pour into your into your life like, oh, good, you're back. We've been waiting for you to come and address us. Right. And without that focus of saying, well, I'm definitely doing these top three things. And, and that means all these other things that are flooding back into my life. Now that I am home, I need to continue to delegate those so I can stay focused. Yes. And please let me not uh, 
make it sound like I am a natural brainiac <laughs> with this. I'm not. Right. I've had the, I'm going to say without tongue in cheek, the blessing of doing this three different times. And I've learned from my mistakes. I had an elder scorn president the last time I was bishop who was honest and said, Bishop, you don't delegate enough. And I had to take a step back and think about that and thank him for being so honest. And then really think what, how do I want to internalize this? And uh, how do I need to maybe uh, write that ship a little bit? And yeah. so uh, I didn't just come about that because I'm a natural at this. I've, I've made mistakes along the way. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. Of course, I'll ask you one more question, but you have some some final thoughts regarding uh, Mark chapter six. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. I love a good uh, scripture analogy here. I read a book um, by brother Michael Wilcox that was very, very helpful to me. It's called What Seek Ye? And it's, a, it's about uh, the different questions that the, that the Savior asked. And um, I highly recommend it. What really stuck out to me is that the story about Jesus feeding the multitude that account is in all four of the Gospels. But one thing that's different about it in Mark is that he asks, it, it's accounted a little bit differently in Mark with, with one thing that is more specific. And that is that um, he asks them, after it's, it's made obvious that, hey, these people are hungry and hey, we, we don't have enough bread for these people. The Lord asks them, how many loaves do you have? Go see, go find out. And so I don't know exactly what that looked like, but I envision these kind of fumbling new disciples going back and checking out what they had in a basket or something. And they're like, well, we got five loaves and a couple of fish. What are we going to do with that? And he goes back and he tells them, and then the Lord makes that enough. And so I think about as a, as a leader that travels that has had, I've spent countless hours staring at calendars, trying to make them all fit and to make it all work so that I can do his work, but also manage my professional life and my family life. And there have been times I've noticed that he'll kind of ask me, how many loads do you have? What can you do? Go and see. And when I've gone and I've done that, and I've done the best that I can, and I am very humbling, ask him to make up the difference. He has never let me down. The ward has always been fed. It may not have happened the way that I planned on it happening, but this is his work. And so um, I would invite my fellow uh, bishops or other leaders in the church to, to consider that. Go back and sometimes when you think you just, can't, I can't do this anymore, or I don't have the time for this, consider the Savior's invitation to, well, how many loaves do you have? Go, go see. And he'll make up the difference. Yeah. Love that. Really powerful. Well, of course, I got one more question for you, but I, I wanted to slip in here sort of a, a call out for the audience. One being, uh, if there's any other bishops or leaders or Leaf Society presidents or anybody who has a demanding travel schedule. I'm thinking of uh, my good friend, Clint Pulver, who was just called as a bishop, and he uh, is a professional speaker and goes all around the world speaking. And, and uh, so he may be somebody we, we find back on here. And uh, But any other leaders out there who could uh, maybe speak to this and share, you know, like Ryan said, it's not like he figured this all out, but we all have our own approach and, and it'd be fun to, to hear more of uh, the, the traveling leaders for sure. And then Really just, you know, Ryan, you've probably experienced this to some extent, you know, you're in those meetings of thinking about people to call to certain positions and many of those positions being leadership positions and someone suggests a name and it's easy to just say, oh, well, you know, he, he travels a lot, you know, he's got a lot going on. And uh, so let's not worry about that, but to really give, you know, 
take those names to prayer still and, and realize that, yeah, of course they don't have all the loaves that they need, but the Lord will make up the difference. And so I think it's good that we uh, not dismiss those individuals that do travel and give them opportunities. Anything you'd add to that? I gave the example of uh, Elder Gerard that had that yeah. demanding calling as a state president, but still was traveling every week and he made it work. And then, you know, the, the church member superstar in my career field is Elder Uchtdorf. Yeah. <laughs> he was serving as a state president and as an area, I think the old school regional representative in, in the Frankfurt area, he was the vice president of flight operations for Lufthansa Airlines. And that he has airplanes that are, were airborne 24 seven. Wow. He was traveling himself flying airplanes while also being a regional representative or a state president. And he made it work. Can you imagine if, if someone had decided, you know, what well, we better not call this brother Dieter Dorf to being a bishop or, <laughs> oh, or a state president because he travels too much. Do you know what that would have robbed the rest of the kingdom from us learning and gaining from yeah. that man that we all love? Yeah. Wow. What a great example. Love that. Well, uh, Ryan, I, again, I appreciate you uh, being willing to <laughs> turn your email around on you and ask you to come on the podcast. You did an exceptional job. I'm so excited for to share this interview with others. And not only, even though those bishops or leaders who don't travel will be blessed by this so much. So uh, last question I have for you, Ryan, is as you consider these many opportunities of leadership that you've had in various capacities, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? I think simply the amount of time that I have been blessed to be in the trenches and to help people come unto Christ and be in situations where I just don't know what I'm going to do. I've sat on the, uh, the floor of people's bedrooms before when they're too sick to get out of bed, and I'll offer a prayer with them sitting on the floor next to them. I've been in prisons. I've been in situations where I'm trying to stop a suicide, and I just don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. But when I always go with a prayer and ask the Lord to help me figure it out when I get there, He has never let me down. And because He's helped me at that level, with that intensity, as I try and lead his people for him, it's made me so much more endeared to him and made me a follower of him forever because I've seen how he's lifted me as a leader. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage 
and ability.